welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, so the title of tonight's message is Change Your Mind. Change Your Mind. So up on the screen right now, we've, if you've been with us, we've been traveling with Paul and uh, Silas from over in this area to Antioch. He's come all the way up here. We've traveled through here, okay, across, up into Philippi. Thessalonica, Berea, we looked at those last time, and now we're going to see him coming all the way down here into Athens. And just to familiarize yourself, if you look over here, here's all the churches of, from the book of Revelation. So as we see in Paul's journeys, he had three missionary journeys, you can see all the letters that we study are from him and his trips to start all these new churches with all these believers. So talk about a missionary with a mission, that, that the impact of that mission is still being felt today. Here we are, you know, looking into the uh, book of Acts. So just a little catch up, and you can look up on the map as I'm going through a little outline of last time. Uh, Paul refused to leave Philippi secretly, if you remember when we uh, were here last time, because he wanted people to know that, that, that he was innocent. He didn't want to leave secretly and have people think that he was guilty of something. And uh, Paul and Silas went to the church that met in Lydia's house in Philippi, uh, encouraging the believers there before they left. And they, they uh, had a prayer meeting. They studied scripture. They probably broke bread. Um, we talked about Lydia probably had a house church right in her home that probably included her friends from the river when uh, Paul first met her down by the river. Um, the demon-possessed girl that God used Paul to uh, cast the demon out of her and probably the jailer and his family and also others that were just believers. So it was a good house church that eventually just took, kept spreading the gospel towards uh, England and eventually to the United States. After they left Philippi, they walked 77 miles to Thessalonica, where he stayed three weeks. And he had a question and answers from the scriptures with the people. He loved to have talks with the people about the scriptures. He gave strong evidence about the Messiah that would have to suffer, die, and rise from the dead. And many people came to believe. While Paul was in Thessalonica, the church from Philippi sent financial support to him that helped Paul's ministry in reaching out to the Thessalonian people. So there was a lot of church help. People were helping, just like we have when we take our, your tithes and offerings. Some of that goes to missionaries throughout the world. Uh, we supported the fellow that was here last week, Tom, with Jesus and the Messiah. So there's things, sometimes we have those people here, and they 
give a testimony of what's going on, but there's some people we never hear from, and we'll probably hear from them in heaven. Some of the great works that our giving did with their ministry. Some non-believers, though, there's always non-believers. They got a mob together to go after them, but they escaped, and uh, the mob went after Jason uh, to his house, and he ended up paying a fine. Paul and Silas escaped to help uh, with help to Berea, which was 50 miles from Thessalonica. Now remember, this is all on foot, okay? And these are you have the Roman roads, but there's some places there's no paved roads. They're going through dirt, dust, you know. Uh, there's thieves out there. Remember, most of the, this was a Roman colony area in Macedonia. There's a lot of uh, robbers and thieves, you know. There's animals. So it's not just a walk in the park. You know, they're traveling some distance. So his friends, eventually, um, when they came to Berea, that was the next stop. And remember, the Bereans were more noble than other places they had been because they listened to what Paul had to say, but they also checked the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. And that's something we should always do, uh, regardless of who's teaching or what we're listening to. We need to know the scriptures to see if they're trying to fake us out or not. So these troublemakers from uh, Philippi who went to Thessalonica found out that Paul was in Berea. So guess where they went? They went to Berea. So they had to make that hike too of all those miles. And they tried to get Paul there. So Paul's friends brought him to Athens all the way down, as we see on the map, which was 200 miles away. And they probably took uh, a boat trip from this area here. They probably went in by boat right around here before they had to start walking again. Um, the friends that came with Paul from Berea, he told them when they get back to Berea to send Silas and Timothy down um, to meet them, to meet him in Athens. We're going to look at tonight um, some of the thoughts some of the philosophy that was taking place in this part of the world at the time. But the first place we see any different thinking than what God wants us to know was in chapter 3 of Genesis, where the serpent said to Eve, Has God indeed said? So as soon as Satan gave that question to Eve, what it does, it caused, it caused Eve to question. Hmm, let me think about that. Did God really say that? Did he really mean this? So rather than taking God at his word, Eve started to get confused, and she showed that she really didn't understand the word of God. But that is like so many people, isn't it? Think about, as we get into tonight, just think about people and the things, like the video. How many times did that little infant have to watch that video to get down all those moves? But also, think about what he saw and was listening to 
and how that created a behavior in him. And how about you and me, since we were little infants? What are the things that we have seen and heard that has developed uh, patterns or thinkings in us that might be contrary to Scripture, and sometimes it gives us a hard time with the things that we're reading because of our development over the, over the years or the decades. People change their minds regarding who they love, where they work or live, and the details of how they live their lives. They even change their minds regarding what they call themselves, whether it be from genders to pronouns. Annually, an estimated 50,000 Americans change their first names, petitioning the court for a new one. Isn't that something? They changed their names that they were uh, born with, that their parents gave them. If you look at the diagram, if you want to change your life, change your mind. And then the diagram, that isn't me, by the way. That's not the back of my head. There's still hair on the back of my head and, and certain. But I like the thing that Tom said last week about the yarmulke. We have an ingrown yarmulke. That's cool. So if you look at the picture, there's steps leading into this man's or this picture, the brain. So just like everything we've ever been through, it's steps that lead into our brain that sit there and they permeate or we think on those things and it impacts our mind. It's, it's who we start becoming, right? It's, it's how we start acting, the way we think about things, whether it be good or bad, doesn't matter. We've heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out. You know, um, you put good things in, good things are going to come out. So it's very interesting, the mind. That's a study all in itself. But if you turn your, uh, open up your Bible now, if you have one, to Acts 17, verses 16 to 34 for our study tonight. The unknown God is one of the, uh, the main portion of Scripture that we'll be leading into. But it's very important that all of us here, hopefully we all know this, and the people on the Internet know that you can know and, and love this God, and He wants to have a relationship with each and every one of you. He's not an impersonal God. He's a God that knows you by name, and you know Him by name. When you see Jesus, he said, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Yes, the mystery of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. But that the God, the Holy Spirit, is living in each one of you if you have made a profession of faith. If you are a born-again believer that is following Christ and knows that He died for your sins, God Himself is living inside of you. And He's reconstructing you. 
He's changing your mind, changing your heart. That is something He has to do. We have to let Him do it. Because we've been so indoctrinated since little children to not everything that's good, right? There's been stuff that's come in that's been bad. And we think of our school systems today, what they're feeding our children, the kids today, that is so anti-Bible. Just think of these poor, innocent kids. What's going into their mind? But God, but God can change all of that. He'll raise up a generation if this earth continues that will love Him. There'll always be a remnant that seeks hard after Him. Now in this picture up there, if you look closely, there's a lot of uh, statues, temples um, in Athens. A lot of philosophers. At one time, this was a center of geniuses. This is where thought started. If it came out of Athens, it just... And they didn't have internet, you know. But it spread to the known world. It had an impact on how people thought, how they acted, how they treated one another. They say there was 3,000 altars or temples in Athens. 3,000. There were 20,000 statues, idols in Athens. Now Paul comes here two to three hundred years after the massive influence that Athens had on the world, but there was still the thought. There's still thoughts that came from Athens that are in our society today. I'm sure we've all heard, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. Go for all the gusto. You only go around once in life. Well, a lot of those thoughts came from the heart of some of the philosophers that were in Athens. And this is, look how many thousands of years later that that thought started. I think it was Karl Marx said, if you, give me the poets and the musicians because they're the ones that who are going to have the impact on society. They're the ones that can change society. The poets and the musicians. And you know it, and I know it. If we hear a melody from 30 years ago, we can almost remember every single word in that song. Because it's permeated us. It's permeated our brain, our spirit. And some of you might be, have been delivered, right, from things that took place in those days of your music. God delivered you. It takes His grace and a supernatural work of His Holy Spirit to bring us. Now, here, bring us out of that. Now, here's the other thing. It doesn't matter who you are here tonight, how young or old you are. All of us have habits that don't line up with the Bible. They don't. We're not perfect. So God is, we're works under construction, aren't we? That God is always trying to get our attention. He's trying to change us. He's trying to make us more like Him. And when we say, Lord, keep changing me. Keep making me more like you. I want to imitate you in my thoughts and my speech and in the way I do things. Do you give Him that permission to do that? That's so important to have that open mind and open heart. In verse 16, it says... 
Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, remember, he's waiting for Timothy and Silas, his spirit was provoked. It was stirred. He was aggravated. Within him, there was a stirring. When he saw that the city was given over to idols, and here's some more of the idols that were there. There's four different pictures in this one slide of just some of the idols that they worshipped. Before we go on to verse 17, I want to stop here. And I like to investigate some idols with you and me. Because you might be saying, well, I don't worship any statues. I don't bow down to anybody. Huh. Well, let's investigate some idols and see what we come up with. Do I love or treasure anything or anyone more than God? If you do, that's an idol. Anything that's in place of God. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. But does it take the place? Is it the number one thing in your life? Do I prioritize anything or anyone before God? Does anything bring me more pleasure than the things of God? If you're a new believer here tonight or listening, you have to understand there is a progression of God's Holy Spirit working in your life. You might be able to say yes to all these, or yes and no, or no, 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 and yes. Because God is working on you. Remember, what's the great thing is about our God? Is He's the author. He's the perfecter of your faith and my faith. We just have to be submissive to Him. Lord, I'm yours. Do what you have to do. Do I place my identity in anything over my status as a child of God? Do I look to anything or anyone to meet my needs instead of God? Do I seek fulfillment or satisfaction from anything outside of God? And do I seek comfort outside of God? In verse 17, it says, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily, which meant day in and day out. He was in that marketplace with those who happened to be there. Now the marketplace was, was a public place. You know, you can almost think of it if you go to a real big flea market. And there's people all over the place. They're going from table to table to merchant to merchant. Sometimes you run into somebody you know. Well, here's Paul right in the middle of the flea market. And he's talking this whole new thinking, this whole new idea that's never been heard in this area that is just permeated with idol worship. And all the temples... And all the thousands of statues. Well, he loved to do that. Paul was called to do this. And he reasoned with people. He got in those debates, those question and answers. He answered their questions. He gave them questions to think about. To break down their thinking. To see why do they believe what they believe. 
in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 to 17, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. So the title of the message is Change Your Mind. Is your mind on the things of God, the things that are heavenly? Or is it wrapped up and consumed by the things on this earth? Because this earth can consume you and destroy you and stress you out and give you anxiousness and depression. But when you're looking at the things of God, the things from God, that's supernatural. And he brings you to a different place in your mind. Our mind needs to be washed daily by the word of God, doesn't it? Because there's so much filth that can be ex- we can expose ourselves through what we see and through what we hear. Sometimes we don't even want to see it or hear it. Right? All of a sudden, bang, a commercial comes on. Or we hear somebody say something and it triggers our mind. But we've got to get our mind back on the heavenly things and in the center where Jesus is and not in our flesh. Verses 5 to 7 of Colossians says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication and uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Like any of those things can be idolatry. If that's the number one thing in your life, if that's the thing that's um, putting God second, third, fourth, fifth on your list. Remember the throne. I love the throne, right? Before you're a believer, you're on your throne. But when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you step off the throne and you give him his rightful place. So anything that takes consumption of us is an idol. And Paul lists this to the Colossian church to put to death those things. And in verse 6, it says, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We know if we've come to be born-again believers that we left a life of idol worship even if you were the idol. We left that, we turned, and we're following Christ. But those are the things that we can identify 
and help others who are yet to be sons and daughters of God that we can have compassion with them. We can love them because we were just like them. We can identify with them. We can help them through that by loving them, not by hitting them down with laws and regulations, but by the love of Christ, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 18. Then certain Epicurean... uh, Let me go back to the Scriptures for a second. Hold on, guys. Um, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be proclaiming a, a proclaimer of a foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the Epicureans were philosophers whose chief purpose in life was to pursue pleasure. They wanted a peaceful life. They didn't want any pain. They didn't want any discomfort. They were free from the fear of death. They did not deny gods, but they believed the gods didn't even involve themselves with man. Now, Epicurus, the founder of that philosophy, believed and taught that a simple life equals pleasure. The more possessions you have, the more problems you have. And he lived from 342 B.C. to 271 B.C. He was about 71 years old when he died, which was a good age for that time. Now, Paul is in Athens 324 years after Epicurus in 53 AD. So a lot, hundreds of years have passed. So the Epicurean strength of their philosophy has really diluted, has really gotten weaker from the, the purity of when Epicurus first did it. Now the pleasure, before, back with him, the pleasure was working hard, having a good family, educating your kids. When Paul goes there, now it's, let's get drunk, let's party. You know, let's go to the temple prostitutes and have sex with them. So in those two or three hundred years, the society has really degraded. Think of our Constitution and how that has been watered down over the years since 1776. Think of that. It's over 200 years. How many similarities can we see between Athens, Greece, and the United States of America? And I'll throw in the whole world. (laughs) Put the whole world in that boat. We need Jesus as president, king of every country. We don't need a man. We don't need a woman. We need Jesus. Amen? 
And then you have the Stoic philosophers. They were uh, pantheists. They believed in many gods. They believed that God existed in all things. Anything you see, God, that's God. God's in that. Worship was not accepted among the pantheists. They emphasized moral sincerity and had a high sense of duty. They believed suicide was a better choice than a life without dignity. They believed that everything was God and God was in everything. They believed good as well as evil were from God. Good or evil should not be resisted as everything was God. They believed there was no clear direction or destiny for mankind. The Stoics and the Epicureans, they battled. They still met, they still talked, they still exchanged ideas. But now, God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, and we see this throughout the book of Acts, He sends in Spirit-filled men and women to different parts of the world to touch lives because He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to know Him as Lord and Savior. So here's this guy, Paul, at the end of verse 17 where it says, they encountered Him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? So they were saying basically that this guy is full of empty talk. The word babbler, back then, or the breakdown of the word, is a seed picker. Like a bird picking up seeds. They live off of what others provide. You know, you leave your sandwich on the bench, the bird comes down starts eating it. He did nothing. You just left it there for him and he was picking at it. Or like a merchant, if he's going through the town and on his wagon something falls off, somebody picks that up and takes that. A little further down in verse 28 of the same chapter, it says, In him we live and move and have our being. But you see, the people in this area of the world have never heard the gospel. This is a foreign thing that they're hearing from Paul. And they're just living whatever they, way they want. They think everything's good, but they're living in spiritual darkness. Jesus Christ is everything. No one or nothing compares with him or ever can. In verse 18, it says, Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Remember, it's foreign to their ears. So before we move on, question, why do you and I believe what we believe? <clears throat> Quite literally, the term philosophy means love of wisdom. In a broad sense, philosophy is an activity people undertake when they seek to understand fundamental truths about themselves, the world in which they live, and their relationships to the world and to each other. 
Guys, girls, can you imagine you or I looking any place else but right here for anything else here? Truth about ourselves, the world in which we live, their relationships to the world and to each other. Do you know how crazy that would drive us when you have thousands of philosophies? And even more opinions. But yet God in his wisdom. Gave us his word from Genesis to Revelation. 66 books. Written by over 40 authors. Most of them never met each other. But yet you can read this from Genesis to Revelation as one book. How does that happen? You think that happened in Athens with all the different opinions and philosophies? You'd be all confused. One chapter would tell you one thing. The next chapter would tell you something else. You'd be scratching your head saying, I'm really confused. I don't understand this at all. But the Bible, God, our God, our God is not a God of confusion. He makes it very clear, doesn't he? In the beginning of Genesis, it shows the fall of man. And then the whole rest of the Bible is man's redemption. (laughs) That's basically it. And how he's going to redeem mankind. It's right here. He tells us the future. He tells us what heaven's going to be like. He tells us what's going to happen to believers and non-believers. Verse 19, and they took him, they actually invited him from the marketplace. Remember, he was in the marketplace. They invited him from their give and take discussions and brought him to the Oropagus. And here's a picture of the Oropagus right here. And you can see him a tourist in it in the picture. So they brought Paul here and they say, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new things. Seems like some of those guys and girls were the seed pickers. It seems like they were the ones, they also call them gutter birds, that they were just taking stuff that was laying around and making a philosophy from it. They were also called bird brains, a term that we still have in 2023. Now, northwest of the city of Athens, Greece, is a small hill, and it's covered in stone seats. This area was once used as a forum for the rulers of Athens to hold trials. They would judge people there. They would debate there. They would discuss important matters there. The Athenian leaders and thinkers would meet on this hill. This location was called the Oropagus, a combination of Greek words for God of war and stone. 
the equivalent to Ares in Roman mythology is Mars. By the time of Paul and the early Christian church, this location was under Roman control. So the spot was known as Mars Hill. And we'll take a couple other pictures here. Show you a couple other uh, shots of Mars Hill. This one is what it might have looked like back in the day. This is more closer to what it looks like today if you visit. And notice the height. I thought this picture on the left gave us a good um, perception of the height because it was uh, one of the highest points in Athens. And you could oversee the whole area there. So the purpose of the Athenian Mars Hill was similar to that of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Both were groups of respected local men. It used to be 24 Athenian leaders that would go up here and discuss things. But now, at the time of Paul, it had dropped down to only 12 would meet up there. They would be in charge of investigating spiritual or philosophical ideas. Both were used somewhat like a court to settle disputes and judge certain cases. And unlike the Sanhedrin, the Athenian Mars Hill people were primarily interested in defending the Greek concept of the gods, whatever those gods were. Well, Paul was invited to Mars Hill to tell his thoughts, the things that he was sharing in the marketplace. Paul used this opportunity to deliver one of the New Testament's most intense times of evangelism. He combined the gospel with the Athenian search for truth. In Romans 10, verses 14 to 15, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I'm hoping that you're seeing with Paul's travels how we're seeing his thought process in all his letters. This, what I just read, was his letter to the Romans. But when he says the things that he's saying, here's a great example. How are these Athenians, these pagan people who are living in darkness, how are they going to know the light unless someone shares that with them? Dear people, you and I are in that same kind of boat. We're living in a world that's getting darker and darker and Jesus, the light of the world, is in you and you are his lights of the world. We should be praying, Lord, today, throughout my day, wherever it brings me, let me love somebody with your love. Let me shed some light on who you are. Let them ask me a question that just opens up a dialogue. Because there's people just like this, they're... They're in confusion. They're, they're taking this philosophy and this thought and this thought and put it in their mind and that's who they're becoming. But it's 
not God's will for them for that to happen. God wants them to be grounded in the scriptures. That when we see something, we're seeing it through his eyes. When we speak to someone, we're speaking through his love, through his words. In verse 22 of Acts 17, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, Paul, it's always good to meet the people that you're talking to, just like Paul did, to meet them where they are. Know their likes, know their dislikes, know know what they're interested in and try to identify somehow with them. You know, if it's somebody that's an artist, try to, you know, say, uh, oh, I heard the name Picasso one time. Or if it's a kid or a guy, that, a girl involved in sports, pull out some name, you know, that you hopefully you have won. But identify something to keep the ball rolling in your discussion. Well, Paul did this. He saw all the gods. He saw all the temples. And... He went right at him and started, as we go on here in the next few minutes, to just see how he started um, breaking down some of their beliefs that they had as philosophers. And I was thinking of Moses, how God used Moses to break down all the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. The blood, the the river gods, you know, the insects, the whatever, even his first, the firstborn, you know. God showed them that all those idols didn't measure up to the God of the Bible. And Paul is now going there. Again, it says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with the inscription that says, to the unknown God. That's carte blanche for Paul. He can go anywhere with that one. Right? He can go anywhere. Because they don't know this God. So Paul is going to bring in the God he knows, the real God, and put them, put them right in there to have them start thinking about this God as we continue. Therefore, the one whom you worship, without knowing him, I proclaim him to you. The God who made the world. So right now he's going after the creation. And everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands. There were thousands of temples that they thought the gods were living in. And Paul's saying, well, you can't contain the God of the universe, the God of all creation, in the temples made by you guys. He's bigger than that. Verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands. And now he's attacking the altars. The altars that you guys built, that you're sacrificing things on or people on. He's not going to honor the things that you built. As Paul goes on here, as though he needed anything. Since he gives life to all. And he gives breath. 
to all things. Verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. And that was their poet Aratus or Aratus. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So he's taken all these things that are surrounding them and shown this is just your creation. This isn't the God of the universe. These are your creation. These are your thoughts. But now he's going to pinpoint this unknown God. In verse 30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now light has been shed and he commands all men everywhere to repent. So now he's coming to the reason he's there. He's saying, you know, you're very religious. You have all these statues and temples. You're scroping, you're graveling, you're reaching to try to find the truth out of ignorance. But now, now, there's someone more important on Mars Hill. It's not the philosophers like Plato or Socrates or Homer or Pluto. That was a joke, Pluto. Okay. Um, but it's the Holy Spirit Himself. It's God that's on Mars Hill. He's stepping into that dark area and proclaiming through Paul who He is. Verse 31. Because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man... He has ordained. So in verses 30 and 31, there's two things happening here. He, remember at the end of 30, he says, all men everywhere to repent. And they were used to that word because that word means to change your mind. You've been thinking this way. Change your mind. I'm shedding some light on something here. Change your mind. You and I, what, do we, what is God shedding light on in your mind that you need to change, that I need to change? Listen to Him. That's the Holy Spirit. And some of us, like Mars Hill, have rock heads. We're hard-hearted. We're hard-headed. But the Holy Spirit can penetrate that head to get to your heart. But we have to ask Him to do that. Lord, change me. I don't know everything, Lord. I'm hard-hearted. I know there's certain areas in my life. Come in. Change me. I want to turn. Change my mind. Give him that permission to do that. And then in verse 31 at the end, it says, He will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he has ordained. Judgment is coming, he's telling these guys. And we say that. Judgment is coming. 
For anybody who doesn't know, Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And you and I who are believers, we're going to go to the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where we're going to... It has nothing to do with our salvation. But it's going to be, what have we done with what God has given us? How have we served Him? How have we loved one another? So important. We need to change our minds. And remember the philosophy that was going on with the Stoics and Epicureans. They didn't think that flesh, some of them didn't think that flesh and spirit could be united. And here in the last part of verse 31, it says, He has given assurance of this to all. How? By raising Him from the dead. The resurrection that we celebrate Sunday. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He's coming back. He's given us His Holy Spirit to continue this tremendous blessing of being a light in a dark world. Now remember, these philosophers, a lot of them, they didn't think that flesh and spirit could be united. Remember, they separated things. The Platonic philosophy denied the resurrection from the dead. And in closing, let's go to the uh, next slide. Romans 10. Nope. Romans 10, 9 to 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in verse 32, watch what happens back in Acts 17. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined them. They were glued to him, is another uh, way to say that. They were glued to Paul, and they believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Agrobite, or Ario, what, the Mars Hill guy, a woman named Damaris, and others with him. The first one was one of the council members. He was one of those 12 guys on Mars Hill that would debate. He came to faith in Jesus because of Paul's teaching. And then there was another Athenian woman who came. There's always going to be mockers. There's always going to be people who procrastinate. And there's always going to be people who accept. Which one are you if you haven't made that decision yet? But if you're a believer in Jesus, you can also be one who's a procrastinator. Change your mind. You might procrastinate in the spiritual things. The Holy Spirit wants to move you. Change your mind. Jesus, change my mind in that area how I am always procrastinating with certain things. We need to look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ in any avenue, in any way. Make the unknown God to a generation that doesn't know him known 
He has a name. It's a name above all names. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name, as we know, is Jesus. And because He lives, you and I can face tomorrow, regardless of what comes our way. Last scripture, Colossians 2.8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through empty, uh, through, philo- I'm sorry, my screen's getting darker and darker here. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. If we believe anything outside the scripture, it's like two planes or a pl- two planes taken off, same time. One following the radar, the Bible. It's going to get to his destination. The other one taken off at the same time, not following the GPS. It's just off two inches. But 500, 1,000, 2,000 miles later, he's going to be off by a lot. So when we mix philosophy with the Scripture, boy, who knows where we're going to end up. Know the Scripture. Stay focused on the Scripture. Speak the Scripture. Think the Scripture. Fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And keep running the race till we're home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Uh, We thank you for your words. Pray if there's anybody here who does not know you and they were stirred, their hearts were stirred by your words tonight that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. There might be somebody right here. So we just want to say a prayer. It's the attitude of your heart. It is not the words. But if that's you, whether you're home or here in the church, just say a prayer like this or just repeat my words. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I've fallen short of your perfect standards. I know that you went to the cross and died for me and shed your blood for me. I now turn from my self-directed life and I just want to follow you all the days of my life. Dear Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me a hunger for your word. Let me just follow hard after you and let me be a light to others. If there's things in my mind, in my heart that is contrary to your word, remove it, Lord. Fill me with only your Holy Spirit and only your word. Change my mind. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. 
You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless. Let us